and this is Ascension Workers Live. And this is a show where I'm kind of trying to interview people who are very dedicated to the path of Ascension, the path of spiritual growth, the path of awakening others. And I thought a really great person to interview for this, for the first interview, would be my friend, uh, Chris Kern. Let me get you on the screen here, Chris. Unmute. Hi, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's uh, been a challenging this past year having a baby now with um, not having as much time, but um, I, I feel like, you know, I'm gradually getting back into a more consistent meditation path. And it feels like the, the baby itself became a meditation, you know, of, of sorts to focus on life in a different way. Um, but yeah, we can get into med meditation later, definitely. Um, so uh, maybe to start with, um, I, I could, I could just, I could just share, I could share that um, Chris and I have been, uh, you know, locally living in Colorado Springs. We've attended meetup groups. Um, and he, Chris hosts a meetup group. I host a meetup group. And we've been to each other's groups and appreciate what we're doing. And it's it's a, a, a very fantastic subject we can get into later too, the, the group group energy and potentials with groups. And but Chris also has done many awesome things with his life, um, and including uh, tra training under a legitimate uh, guru in India. Guru is probably not the right word, um, but we can get into that too. Um, so would you like a brief, brief background, Chris, of um, how you got into the spiritual path and what that's led to? Yeah, sure. I got in through uh, lots of misery, probably like everyone else here who's here. So I want to say hi to Anne-Marie, Debbie, uh, Jameis, Layla, Lisa, Louis, Trish, Victoria, and everybody who's here. Uh, happy to meet you. Happy to be here. Uh, definitely ask questions and you know this isn't obviously all about me it's a it's a conversation so please so please chime in but yeah but basically by the time i was 31 years old i had run my entire life into the ground i had no money i had no place to live i had no car like literally i'm not this isn't exaggeration and i was lucky enough i had a friend who let me literally sleep in his basement which was not heated there was no heat in this basement, and I stayed there over a cold winter. So I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep in a place that's literally like 30 or 20 degrees. It's weird. Anyway, at that point in my life, I had this idea, and I was like, you know what? I'm smarter than this. Like, I know, I know I'm intelligent enough to not get myself into this tragic situation. So that's when I sort of had a wake up call for myself. Like, you know what? I have to start living properly. I have to start doing the right things. And then, so, I, so I basically I got my act together. And part of that was beginning a meditation practice, which I did in 2003. And it just came up, came about naturally. I wanted to start meditation and I looked up online and I saw that it's, uh, the different types of meditation. And I found one, a method called Raja Yoga, which is one of the four main branches of yoga. And Raja Yoga is, is, uh, it's the king of all yogas. That's what Raja means. And also it's, there's no, it's not physical at all. It's just mental. 
it's just basically meditation and a cleaning process. So, and then I looked up if there was someone near me who taught this method and there was 20, 20 minutes away. And I called this person and I said, I'd like to start meditation. And he said, fine, come to my house. And from the moment I walked up to his house and knocked on the door and he opened the door, he said, welcome. I literally felt at home and I, and, and, and I'm so lucky I had a local facilitator to help me get started with meditation because as you know, Mike, meditate, people have so many misconceptions about meditation. It's insane. And it, it's so much simpler than everyone thinks. So anyway, that's how I first got started. I don't want to go through my entire <laughs> 20 years since then before, you know, yeah. So, well, eventually your interest in this path, this particular path, it, this led you to seek out the source of this path in India. Is that how it went? So when I met the local facilitator and I started practicing, he gave me a book and the book was written by the master and, and guru is a totally okay word. Guru just means teacher, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so I started reading about the practice. How do you do the practice? It was very simple. It still is very simple. And the, the, you know, the master had written several books and he gives speeches, which they transcribed into books. There's a lot of books. So I just started reading the first book that my facilitator gave me. And then I realized that there's a, a master or a guru and, you know, and I wasn't put off by that, but a lot of people are, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I don't need a master. And, 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 and look, all it is, it's a teacher. It's somebody who knows a lot of stuff that you don't know. That's all. And, and a true master just wants to teach you. It's not, it's not master and slave, right? You're not signing up to be a slave. You're signing up to be a student. And what does any teacher want more than anything? They want their student to surpass them. Right? right? So that's, but if you do find a guru who is asking you for money, who does want to control you and who does want to whatever else, beware. Cause there are people like that too. But so you, you know, got to find a good teacher. That's, that's what that's all about. So yeah. So then about a year and a half after I started, I took my first trip to India in 2004. And that was, well, as far as the spiritual practice was concerned, that was eye-opening. But even just going to India and seeing that culture was just mind-blowing. Yeah. So this guru is Charji. Is this the guy named Parthasarthi Rajo? <laughs> yeah, Parthasarthi Raja Gopalachari. He's I found his Wikipedia here. Known as Charji. Yep. Yeah. And so the uh, Charji. Uh, was a student under Babaji, this guy? Yep. Right? And, and then Charji took Babaji's teaching and created Sahaj Marg. Is this, how do you say that? Yeah, Sahaj Marg. That was created by Babaji in 1945, as it says right there on the first couple lines. Yeah, it was started in 1945 by Babaji, and Charji met Babaji in, I believe, 1967. So, and then he trained under Babaji and then Babaji passed away in 1983 and then Charaji took over the role as the master and, uh, and Charaji passed away in 2014 and he was, uh, succeeded by, um, Kamlesh, they call him Daji, I think mm -hmm. I've I, since about 20, this just means what? like he's the CEO of the organization, which is teaching the meditation practice basically. 
yes. Uh, although there are a part of the spiritual practice is um, one of the main parts of this practice that we're talking about, which, by the way, I'm not really plugged in so much anymore. Ever since I moved to Colorado, there's no one here who practices. So, I mean, I still meditate, obviously, but but one of the methods of that system, which is very interesting, is called uh, pranahuti. And prana, everyone, you might know, you might have heard the word prana, right? It's like energy, spiritual energy or whatever. I don't life know the force, exact yeah. life force. Well, pranahuti is where the master, you can meditate with the master and he can sort of infuse into you higher spiritual states. Like he can infuse into you spiritual states that you're, you, you, you might not even be ready for 100%. And so that way he can sort of give you a taste of the next step and then help you grow up to that. And then once you get there, then he'll give you a taste of the next step. And it's really something to be felt. I mean, you can't really talk about it. Um, well, do you think it's something that it's felt in small ways when we meditate in groups? Do we, do we tune into each other's vibration that way too? Yes. Group meditation. Yes. Obviously there's this cumulative effect, which can be felt. I mean, that's what happens in our meetups and your meetups right. too. Yeah. It's amazing. It's almost as though like, even if my mind is prone to wander, I feel this deep soothing peace that sort of pervades my consciousness as we get going into the meditation. And I know it's not for me. I know it's unique to this group. And so it feels as though there's some kind of like magnetic pull to go deeper into the meditation. That's just coming from the fact that we're around people who are doing the same practice. Yeah, and 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 developing the sensitivity for that is really important too because spirituality is so deep and it's so subtle too, right? The deeper states are more subtle. So to 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 experience them and to learn from them, you have to really bring your mental activity down and you have to, it just it takes practice. It takes months and years. This isn't like a couple days. Uh, but yeah, but the master with this transmission, they call it, tran the pranahuti is called transmission. Um, that's something else. I mean, the group, the group thing is there, yes, but also that pranahuti is something else. And again, it's hard to explain, but when you sit, I mean, I've had so many different experiences that I literally can't even explain. I mean, I could tell you, okay, I sat down and I was just gone, or I sat down and I just... I went somewhere or it, you know what I mean? Like, it, but what does that mean? Right. So you have to do it yourself. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's the, well, the law of one describes the mind as being um, like an, an uh, having a inner geometry or inner geography even. And that there, as you open the door, you begin, you begin going into that geography, the geometry, which is like, um, it's it's almost as though there's there's thoughts that have like deeper subconscious roots and and the feeling of getting to that root is beyond words because it's you're literally like the, the words are on the surface and then the feelings are pursuing deeper down so you know feeling your way into a meditation might be one um description of the process i guess but feelings are, feelings can be like um even like chem chemic chemical based but then there's feelings that seem to be of the mind that are not related to the chemistry of our body, if that makes any sense. For sure. And, and, and one of the things that happens too, is when you meditate, sometimes when you sit down and meditate with other people or the master and, or the master, you don't feel anything too much different, but after 45 or 55 minutes and you come out of it, 
you open your eyes and and that's when you're like what like you know what i mean like it just yeah. there you you you're traveling somewhere you're something's happening you don't really know but it's it's could be kind of pleasurable maybe not but then at the end you you when you open your eyes and then you get that uh contrast right of oh now i'm back here in this place and i so then then you realize that you were in a different place right yeah i mean it's it's almost as though some powerful meditations can make you like a different person even afterward because you, you feel like you, you're losing something by exiting the meditation and trying to return to your normal life. Whereas that, that space of meditation would be so nice to hold on to. It's, it's almost like a, painful to break away from the meditation sometimes. I feel that way in your group and my group. It's like, I don't, want it, I don't want the meditation to end. I don't want it to end. Yeah. Yeah, and it just gives your, gives your life more perspective. I mean, when you, when you, uh, you know, encounter some small annoyance if you've been meditating for months and years something small that's annoying okay yeah it's annoying but it's just something like like you 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 get better at not giving your attention to small annoying things so yeah yeah and it feels as though that's not really um it's <laughs> not a part of our culture but I, I do wonder about the culture of india and it seems as though people are prioritizing um, well, I, I don't really know if there's pros and cons to the different aspects of the culture. I don't know if the 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 people in India have become more jaded to certain kinds of uh, meditation practices or whatever because it's just part of their culture so much. Did what, what was it like getting in that culture? What what surprised you about their culture that is different than ours? Uh, well, mostly the standard of live. So the, the most obvious is the standard of living i mean they it, it, in in the usa we are so uh what would you call it uh rich spoiled i mean we we live like kings in this country even, even if you're poor yeah but over there now some people in india have money and they live like we live in the us but a lot of people don't so what happens is that culture values the fundamentals more hmm. you know here in in the in the us especially today we complain about everything we whine we you know it it, it we're just little spoiled brats for real like for real and and if you ever t spoken to anyone from any other country in the world they all know this and because it's true but over in india and a lot of the eastern countries that are poor they don't have all the luxuries, so they're they're not up on this big pedestal. They actually still, for the most part, understand how important family is and how important it is to have a teacher, just to find a teacher, and 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 even just food and shelter. Like these things are important. We just take it all for granted, and then we complain about whatever we can about everything, basically. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's fascinating here. You know, people. Uh increasingly complain about every single kind of church that they go to and they're really there are very few churches that they're actually meditating in those churches <laughs> there might be brief windows in some christian churches where they give you some time to reflect and process but normally there's somebody praying at the same time they're kind of guiding your meditation um and yeah but but is meditation very very central in most uh eastern religions would you say yeah I, so I was going to get to that. Yeah. So in India, the, the concept of meditation is widely known. It's just part of the culture. 
you know, because even the way they think of their lives, you know, you have your childhood and that goes up to a certain age. Then you have your householder uh, stage of life where you, you know, have a home, have kids, have a, you know, family. And then the last part of life is where you dedicate to your spiritual practice. That's why they, you, you hear a lot of older people, they just go into the Himalayas and they just disappear into the mountains and that's it. Um, so they, th just the way they conceive of a human life is different. Um, but that doesn't mean that every Indian person or every Eastern person is a spiritual person who's meditating and stuff it, it, because they're not all meditating. It doesn't mean that if they are meditating that they're taking it seriously because they're not all taking it seriously, right? So it's the same, the, the same things we go through, they go through in, within their own uh, culture. But, but there is a, a definitely sort of like a built-in reverence for spirituality and for these teachings that's there. Um, and also a rev not only for spirituality and these teachings and gurus, but also for just dealing with other people. I mean, part of, part of the, the, the way Indian culture works is if they have a guest in their house, they treat them like God. That's how they look at it. They will invite you in, sit down. They'll give you food. They'll get, it's almost, they literally treat you like God or the guru because that's just their culture. That's how they're trained to treat other people. Um, and again, I'm not saying, I, please don't take anything I'm saying like, oh, America's the worst and India's the best. No, it's not like that. It's just, we're just discussing differences and there are good and bad in both places, right? Yeah. So um, it, it is interesting, though, that um, like it's, I guess I would call it materialism here. There's more materialism here that people are almost able to tune out the idea that it would matter if they're attending a, a, or, or trying to find a spiritual teacher because of the fact that they, they, they I don't know, they, they place their faith in their own life that they built for themselves, which is very often, you know, based around trying to become more wealthy, trying to uh, have status or something. Um, it seems like we're valuing that, but I assume there's still a lot of value on status. And I mean, India has the caste system, right? That's a completely yeah. other system of uh, seg segmenting people into different boxes. Um, but I, but it's interesting that being being aware that there are people who are on a higher spiritual level might, might be a part of the, the indoctrination from birth that there are different kinds of classes of people, I guess. I don't know if that's part of the reverence process. I, that might not be a very clean way to have reverence though if you're putting it in other people versus in god or something like that right yeah the caste system i believe over the last let's say 60 years has like almost everything in eastern culture it, it's becoming westernized right i see so everything is yeah i mean the new the the newer generations i don't maybe they don't uh respect it as much or you yeah. know because like you said it's a caste system if you're of a certain caste you can't you can only marry someone you know what i mean like you can't do this you can't go to there's just all these rules and you know maybe 100 200 300 years ago it was helpful and maybe today it's helpful but i think because of the globalization everything is yeah. becoming more westernized which yeah I, yeah I was gonna say it's like the internet may be an equalizer too i mean i see so many people who are you know the developers in india now that it's it's like they're on the same level as me and the fact that they're they're taking they're taking the same jobs 
but at the same time, I wonder if there's like dating sites in India where you have to select a cast in the dating hmm. site. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Funny. But yeah, I mean, as soon as you have a dating site, then you're open to interact with all people and you can obviously marry anybody if you choose to, I assume. It's not like a law against it, is there? I don't think there's a law. I think it's, well, I think all, all families handle it differently. Mm-hmm. Because in India, they still do the whole, they, they still do the dowry system where the, what is it? The woman's family has to give a lot of money to the the husband. Yeah, something like that. I think. Yeah, and okay. that can, yeah. kind of starts off the, it, it probably gives a good boost, I guess, you know, to the family. Yeah, yeah, to help that new family start their life, for sure. Um, so how many people would you say are part of like a temple in India? Is it like a high percentage of people that attend services or? I don't really know. You know, I didn't. So, so I was part of this spiritual practice, which is in in the big picture, it's a small spiritual practice, but you know, Hinduism is still the main religion of India and that's huge. And there's temples everywhere. And, you know, a lot of, I think probably most Indians are, are following Hinduism um, and again, it's just like any other religion where some of the people follow it religiously with their heart, but most of them probably don't. So I think it's the same thing there. But Hinduism is the the big religion in India. Mm-hmm. And I, I eventually wanted to get in more to what, what your current uh, ambitions are with the idea of starting something that could be like a tr- retreat center. And, you know, I've... I, we were talking recently about the, the ashrams in India, and that just fascinates me endlessly that if there's a place you could literally just go and you can become a devotee and you can stay there. And that's just a part of the culture is that if, if you want to make like spirituality your profession, you can go and you can serve in that in that capacity without having to send in a resume and apply and be selected amongst the pool of applicants to work at the church or something. You're, you're literally just allowed in if you're if you're a serious student. Is that how it works? I believe some places are like that. And and yeah, I think the the general idea is that you would go there and uh, give service. I mean, you're going to work. You, you 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 might be able to live in the ashram and practice, but you're also going to work, right? So you kind of have to contribute to the the ecosystem. And I think that's how, in general, that's how they work. Yeah. 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 It excites me the idea that there are many people in this country who are kind of craving that that way of living more and more. I don't know if you'd call that nomadic lifestyle or something, um, but I know people are are craving the ability to, um, you know, ha- have some kind of freedom from our seeming enslavement in our in our boxed in world right now, um, that is forcing us into conventional jobs that, you know, we're working for big companies that are becoming increasingly monopolized around their industries so that they're profiting more and there's there's kind of a less of a connection to the to the earth and to the natural way of doing things. Um, so yeah, people are talking about desiring healing centers, retreat centers, and and making that more a part of their life if they can. And and so, tell me about your ambitions. What would you like to achieve? And like, um, you know, we we could we could maybe start with um, how you began your ambitions for starting the pause your life groups and retreats that you were doing in uh, on the East Coast, I believe. Is that when you got back from India? You started those meetings. Um, yeah, well, I had been practicing for about 10 years and I had been doing a lot of, uh, public meetings where I would, I actually became a facilitator in the Sahaj Marg 
organization. So I was became like a local teacher, just like the guy I went to see first. I became one of those guys, which was really cool. I was able to serve that way. And of course, I didn't, you know, it, there was no money involved. I didn't get paid. I just, I was volunteering uh, to help other people get started. And I was doing that. And sometimes we would have these public meetings where, you know, okay, we're going to tell you what is Sahaj Marg, what is the practice and all this stuff. And people would come to these meetings because they were slightly interested, but a lot of people at first, they're not ready to join, you know, an official practice, like, because they, they don't know what it is. Even my mom, when I first started meditating and at first time I went to India, literally my mom asked me, so does that mean now you're a Hindu? And I was like, oh, like I had to explain everything to her. But look, people don't know. And so they, they don't know. So anyway, the point is I was giving these public meetings and people just didn't know what to think of it. So that's when I conceived of the idea of, you know what? We should have a group that is really simple. And it's just, we're going to hit the pause button we're going to meditate a little, and we're just going to talk about certain spiritual topics a little bit, just a little bit. And I thought that would be better for just the average person who's not ready to commit to some practice. And so we did. So in 2013, we started Pause Your Life, and we started having meetings, and it worked out. And then as soon as we got to Colorado Springs here in 2015, we started a group here, and that's where you and I met, of course, Mike. And uh, and people just love it. I mean, it's so, it's the simplest thing you can imagine, but that's what we need. We just need a break. Just need a break. Yeah, it's a great format for, for group meetings. And I can encourage people to maybe contact you and get, get more details if they'd like to host their own Pause Your Life group or something very similar, because it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect template. And, and it basically starts with, um, you know, the introduction and then pretty close, pretty soon we, 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 well, we do the, 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 the universe box. We release, we release our, our burdens. You want to describe that? Oh yeah. The universe box. So I'm sure everyone watching has heard, you know, the little vignette of, you know, this young spiritual aspirant goes to the master and the master is pouring him tea and the master just keeps pouring the tea and the, 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 the kids, the young young person's cup overflows and it goes onto his lap and the young kid jumps up and says what are you doing and the master says your cup is too full come back when your cup is empty and the whole idea is that we have all these ideas and thoughts and preconceptions and habits and we're so full of stuff that there's not room for anything new it's just no room so the first thing in spirituality is to release things become empty let it go and again this is also a practice it doesn't just happen in one second so the first part of our meeting is always this releasing exercise so we have this little box with a with a hole in the top and we pass out paper and little clipboards and we we have people write down anything that's bothering them, anything that's worrying them, any chips on their shoulder, any negativity, anything. And you just write, you don't think about it, you just write for maybe three, four minutes. And then we take turns depositing our pieces of paper into the universe box. And the idea is that at least for the duration of our meeting, you're, you're handing over 
all this stuff to the universe to take care of, meaning you don't have to take care of it anymore. You don't have to worry about it. Give it over to God or the universe because I think God and the universe can handle it. <laughs> so you offload that and then you can just be a human being. So this sort of releasing, this sort of emptying is actually, it, it, it's a very fundamental step. And I don't know, Mike, you could probably attest to this. You can feel it in our meetings after we all offload everything. You probably recognize that I always ask people, how do you feel now? And yeah. everyone's just looking at their face. They, they don't even say anything. They just, they're smiling. They're like, you could just feel it. They're so much lighter and it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I appreciate the part of the ritual that you ask us to see it in others, see the lightness in others as they deposit there. I feel like there's kind of a group meditation already beginning at that moment when we're all together kind of saying we intentionally release all these things. And I feel like that's kind of like the perfect entry into the meditation. Cause I think if I just sit down and try to meditate, a lot of times, like everything that's going been going on in my day just starts coming in randomly. But you're asking us to like intentionally like look at those things that might be what what's overwhelming your mind right now and just release those and then go into the meditation. I think that's a that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, it really works. And by the way, anyone watching or listening, you can do this yourself at home. You can even just sit down. You don't even need a box or nothing. Just sit down and say, you know what? I'm releasing everything. And just you know, Lord or God or the universe, please take everything away and, and then just sit there and, and you'll feel it. Yep. And then, and then we do the short meditation and then we just go straight into um, a spiritual discussion. But the meditation part of it is basically uh, based on this Sahaj Marj uh, practice, right? Pretty much. Yeah. So I, we, we named it lightness meditation, uh, but it is a very similar method of meditation and really it's just simply you get sit comfortably and obviously close your eyes and you imagine that there's a divine lightness in your heart and you don't need to see the light it's not like a physical thing you need to see but you just have the idea that there's divine light in my heart and then you let go and letting go is important because meditation is a passive activity. You're not actually doing anything. This is one of the things people don't understand. It's because initially it's not easy to be passive. Like, because pe people sit there like, what am I supposed to do? Tell me what to do, I'll do it. But it's like, no, don't do anything. And they're like, well, what do I do? <laughs> so being passive is a, oh, it's such a big part of meditation. And, and then you're just passive. And if you have some thoughts, just, okay, fine. Let them drift by. Don't worry about it. Thoughts are just normal. They're just happening. Who cares? And you just let the thoughts go and, you know, ign you ignore them basically. And then more thoughts might come. Fine. You just keep ignoring them. So one of the ways to think about meditation is the practice of ignoring thoughts. And so, but if you ignore enough thoughts, what happens is all these thoughts are coming out of you. And so after a while, there's not much left inside you. You're, you're much clearer or cleaner. And then you're going to meditate. Then when you're meditating, you have fewer thoughts and then fewer thoughts. And then the, the gap between thoughts starts becoming one second or three seconds or five seconds. And then that's when you start to uh, 
that's when actual meditation begins. And uh, so it's a really simple method, but it's you just have to be passive. You have to ignore your thoughts. And you also have to, you know, one thing I can't stand is when people say, oh, I'm not able to meditate. I, I, I've tried it. I can't do it. You're wrong because you can meditate. You are meditating because the reason they think they can't meditate is because they're having thoughts. But thoughts are normal. Who said thoughts are bad? Whoever told you that you had to be thoughtless during meditation? Seriously, whoever told us that? Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? No one. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's, uh -huh. it's, meditation is a practice. It's almost like lifting weights. It's not the end goal. It's, it's a practice like lifting weights that helps us become what we need to become so that we can keep walking the path. And we could get into more of the mechanics of this because I know that, um, you know, like the the law of one books talk about um, coming back to the new mind as being the the like the, the the core archetype of consciousness is the mind which has no biases and has no attachments, and this is like the heart of the magician, what they call magician archetype. So it's as though all of all of the seeking, all of the all the, everything that we're doing, originally started with basically an empty mind. And it's like coming back to the empty mind is kind of like the the the, the hardest thing to do, but it's also like the 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 source of of creating something new from the present moment. Because I feel like you know, for for me, saying that I have to ignore my thoughts can become like a war with myself. If if I really want to hold on to something for some reason, like I need to I need to understand how I feel about this. I need to process this energy. I need to go through these things, and sometimes that can be productive if I'm doing it very deliberately. That's like contemplation I'm, I'm i'm deliberately getting into the thoughts which maybe can resolve themselves but at, at the same time i also know that there is no freedom if i'm if i'm stuck in the past if i'm stuck in something in, or, or the future usually these these thoughts that i'm holding on to will relate to the past or the future and i'm not realizing the present moment is the you know moment of infinite potential if i allow other things to go and i create the the, the level playing field for my mind to kind of to kind of you know ch choose a new energy a new path and i feel like this this practice of just focusing on the heart the heart the heart alone you know can can free us if we if we unblock our hearts we're we're free to love the universe and have gratitude instead of being stuck in a lack of gratitude that would be like the lower chakra energies um right were, were, were chakras ever i mean this may be a side note but were chakras ever a part of the teachings that you received what babaji said is yes the, the chakras are there but he said the heart chakra actually encompasses all the other chakras. So the heart, he, he his teaching is that the heart is the connection to divinity. It's not the mind. It's not the body. It's not the third eye. It's, it's the heart. Because the heart is the only thing you can't live without. We can take your brain out of your skull and you'll still be living. We can cut off your arms, your legs. We can... We can do a lot of things to you, but one thing you can't live without is your heart. And so the heart is the connection to divinity. That's like the, the I was going to say fractal, but that, that might take some explanation. But the point is, it's all about the heart. That's why we meditate on the heart, because when you meditate on the heart, it, it takes care of all the other chakras by just by doing that. So... Uh, and plus the heart is, you know, even in our own lives, we know the heart is so important. I mean, when you have, 
when, when you have a family or your parents or whoever loves you, I mean, do you love them because they're intelligent or because you ask them a math problem and they give you the correct answer? No, you love them because of their heart. You can feel the heart. Same with your wife or your husband or whoever. It's the heart. Life is all about the heart. And, and, and so in the West especially, but in, all over the globe, we're letting our intellect and our mind have too much power and it's, it's messing things up. It's, me, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's not, we're not valuing the heart as we should. We're valuing the head and the intellect. And that's actually a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, it's almost like the difference between the left brain and right brain or the rational mind and the intuitive mind is that we're kind of cutting off our intuition a little bit too. When we, when we get lost in our thoughts and distracted by the world, we're missing the deeper, the deeper aspect of ourselves, which is pulling us maybe or guiding us. And I feel like that's kind of coming from the heart when I'm being guided. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah. you've been doing these pause your life meditations for, for quite a while and you started doing them online too. People can join those now, right? Yeah. We stream uh, twice a week, Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. Well, depending on where you are in the world, but yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely get that shared on essential works TV for people to find the, the links to that and join in the meditations. Um, yeah. I, we like streaming the meditations and here's the thing. Well, okay. There's no intro. The stream starts. I mean, there's a 10 minute countdown, but then, then it's, I just wave to the camera and then we literally meditate. There's no talking and then we meditate. And then at the end we ring, there's a bell that rings. And then after the meditation, I do a very short reading from a, from a book, um, very short and that's it. So it's, it's, it's really easy for people to put it in their calendars. Like, okay, Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, we're going to meditate. And then you just tune into the stream and you don't, no one can see you, no one can hear you but you can see me and my wife on the screen and then you can just meditate with us until you hear the bell. It's it's just really handy and easy. And so I would encourage anyone, if you're thinking about meditating, if you're just sitting at home and it's hard to meditate by yourself, especially in the beginning, you might meditate with us. We're happy to meditate with you. Yep. The group energy definitely seems to still work over the internet when we're intending to meditate together. Yeah. Cause distance, it doesn't really matter with meditation, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe I, I'm still curious a little bit about the what you experienced with Taraji in India. And what, was there like a regimen for daily activity that, 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 they, that they gave to students? Yeah. Yeah. So the core practice itself is very simple. It has three parts. So you have the morning meditation, which is when it's, Basically, first thing in the morning when you wake up, you should meditate. Um, and beginners can meditate for a half an hour. And uh, once you get a little more experience, you can go up to an hour, but not, not more than an hour. And so there's the morning meditation. And then there's the second part is the, what we call the evening cleaning, which is after your, after your day's work is done, right? Then you sit down and what it's not a meditation. It's a cleaning. It's, it's all like a self-cleaning. And you sit down and you imagine that all of the impressions that you've 
taken in that day are leaving you out of your back, like in the form of smoke or vapor. So like, just imagine that everything, everything that's been input into your consciousness and that day is now leaving and therefore you're clean again. You're, you, you're not holding anything. And then that's really important to do the daily cleaning because it's easy. I mean, think of it in terms of if you're of your bathroom, if you cleaned your bathroom every day, it'd be easy, right? You just, it would take you five seconds, but let's say you don't clean your bathroom for a year. Well, now that's going to take you like an hour, maybe not an hour, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe whatever. So the idea is if we clean ourselves every day a little bit, then we don't accumulate any of these samskaras or karma and you're just, you're clean. And then you just, yeah. So the cleaning is the very important part. And then the third part is a night prayer meditation, which is basically at bedtime. It's a very short prayer. And then you meditate on it for maybe five minutes. It's not long. And it's just sort of to remind yourself before bed of what you're doing, you know, that of what the goal is, you know, oneness with God. And it just, just to sort of refocus you before you go to bed. And then, so those are the three elements of um, the practice. So yeah, when I when we go to India or even at home or wherever you are, or if, even if you're in an ashram, you still do the practice every day. That's that's the idea. So the cleaning is just visualization. And is there anything that you are you have to do with the visualization or be taught to properly do the visualization? Yeah. So it's it's. It's kind of visual visualization, but it's not really the, 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 the active or the key element of the cleaning is your will. Because when you use your will, um, it's just done. So if you start the cleaning and you say, okay, all of my day's impressions are leaving me and in, in their place, the sacred current of the divine is filling my heart. If, if you have that thought, with a hundred percent of your will behind it, it's done. It's already done. And then you just got to sit there and let it go. So, so the will, will is important and it's not, it's different than will power. Like, Oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, but Ooh, there's a cookie. Oh, I'm going to eat the cookie. Oh, I didn't have the willpower to stick to my diet. Oh, oops. It's not that kind of will. That's, that's a weak will, but will itself is is an amazing spiritual power that we all have but most of us our will is very weak so when you start you can sort of develop that will and it works i mean when you think that okay the cleaning's done it's actually done and then you just got to sit there for 20 minutes let it happen and but it's already done yeah so so it is like uh the belief is going deeper and deeper into your mind, I suppose, the, the understanding or awareness. And do you think it, d does it get better over time as, as just your, um, your awareness of yourself increases? Does your awareness of your own energies that you're holding on to increase as you do this practice more? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And with the meditation and the cleaning though, you, it, everything becomes more clear and simple. So it's not like something you have to argue with yourself about like, oh, did I use enough willpower? I don't know. Did I do uh, ba, ba, ba. like that chatter and that doubt? It it goes away. So, I mean, Babaji, his famous quote is doubt poisons the will. Hmm. 
So you can't have any doubt. You know, like 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 when some like when I got married, for instance. When I got married, I said, "This is going to be my wife. That's it. Done." There was, I, I, I'm going to be. That's it. It's over. It's done. I'm not going to like six months later. Like, oh, is this marriage going well? Should I leave? Like, no, not. It was done, done for life, done, and it was really done, and it's still done. <laughs> So our will is very powerful. It's, and that's just one of our faculties as a human being that we, we, we very often, a lot of people overlook it because we're too confused and we're too busy da, 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 all day long. We never calm down and say, wow, we have a will. We have an intellect. We, you know what I mean? We, we have yeah. powerful faculties as humans, yeah. but we never talk about, rare, we rarely talk about it or develop them. And that's really the difference with the master. His will is so developed, it's it's absolute. Yeah, the law of one books talk about single pointedness of will being the the important factor. And I, I think I also compared this to the quote of Jesus where he says, If thine eye be single, the whole body will be full of light. So I assume that the singleness of the eye is the singleness of focus and attention and will. I assume that um, you know. Our minds right now are usually scattered in different directions, and and the meditation practice also seems to be a way of cutting out the like it's almost like multiple streams running. It's like you want to get those streams down into one stream, and then, and then you can kind of point that stream with more firepower at the intended objective, which is clearing yourself and getting getting more clean. I guess. Yes, and you bring up a wonderful analogy that Charji used. He said, "Think of a mighty river." Think of the power of a mighty river. Now think of that mighty river going down toward the ocean and it starts to splinter into all these different tribu smaller tributaries. And by the time it gets to the ocean, each little tributary is, is, it has almost no power at all. So all the power of that river has just been, I don't know what, not diluted, but it, it's Gathered. not there anymore. Because yeah. it's so fragmented across the million different little streams, there's no power. But when when it's one mighty river, you can move mountains. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think that that's like when we when multiple people are meditating together, it's like the rivers are converging too, and we have a a larger stream to work with. Yeah, totally. Um, so you 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 did this practice in India for how long? Well, I didn't, I mean, I, I visited India nine or 10 times over a 10 year period, but I mean, I was living in the U S so I was doing my practice every day and, but I did visit India many times. I did, I even traveled with Charji for two months at one point. Uh, I was with him traveling to Dubai and to a lot of Northern India, Calcutta, Lucknow, a lot of different places in India, which was really pretty cool. Um, it, it was, I mean, what an opportunity, you know? So is it, is that what he was always doing was traveling around or yeah. And he was just kind of do, doing special teaching. How did you, how did he manage to set up his base when he would move? Did he just have a lot of opportunities to rent places or how did that work? No, actually. So in throughout India, the mission, the, the organization of the practice does have a lot of different ashrams in all different cities and stuff. I so see. he would basically go visit his different, ashrams and different centers i see and yeah 
Um, and so you met you met your wife. I don't know if we to ask about that, but you met your wife along this journey, or how did that happen? Yeah, so so we met in New Jersey, and we met through the practice. So she would come to this. We would both go to the same Sunday satsang, the Sunday meditation, and so that's where I met her. And yeah, and then so we met, and then at one point we. Uh, there was like an ashram in upstate New York, very small ashram. It was actually somebody's private property. They donated it. So we would have, um, you know, weekend programs at this ashram, right? Small, you know, 15, 20, 30 people. But we, we, my wife and I, uh, before she was my wife, we, we made a, it was a weekend kids program. So we designed a program for the kids, you know, real simple stuff, just, you know, not, not meditation or anything like that, because um, you're, you're kind of not supposed to start meditating until you're pretty much an adult, uh, because your brain isn't really formed, and and plus you don't really understand what you're doing or even why you're doing it. So, but anyway, we we co-facilitated a program for the kids, and that worked out really well. And yeah, so that's how we met. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like she has a very deep uh, appreciation of of. of the the hindu culture would you say she's she's seen she's seen, seen how all, all is operated and um when did she come to the united states was she, was she born in india she was born in india in chennai and she came in the late 90s i think 98 or 99 and i met her i think well i started the practice in 2003 and i think i met her in 2004 and so yeah i mean she obviously what you know grew up and lived most of her life in India before that. So she knows how the Indian culture is. And um, yeah, but you know, for her too, I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but pretty much she hit her own rock bottom, whatever that was. Right. So, mm -hmm. so I don't, I, I, I've tried to talk to a lot of people about spirituality. And one thing I've noticed is if they haven't hit rock bottom or they're not near rock bottom, they're not really that interested it, it's just you're not interested. Why would you be interested? Everything's going well. I'm making a lot of money. I'm going on vacations, and I I just bought a new car. And like, why why should I meditate? And that's a good question. But guess what? When you lose your car and you lose your house, and you lose your spouse, or you lose everything, and then you have nothing, and you sit around, and that's when you go, oh yeah, now I get now I understand that yeah why spirituality, and then. If, if you have some guts, that's when you start practicing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like it, it's just kind of a matter of recognizing. And I know people, sometimes they, they become very wealthy and they find spiritual practice through the fact that money isn't doing it for them anymore and they can't buy their happiness anymore. So they, they realize they have to find something that's better than the outward seeking and they have to go inward finally. Um, yeah, it can happen. On, I assume it can happen just when people get the end get to the end of a particular kind of seeking that is not not a spiritual seeking right but on the on the the well well on the wealthy people side though don't forget what jesus said it's what what did he say it's, it's harder for cam campbell to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven something like that's that. that's it yeah that's it because if you have all that money you just keep distracting yourself you're like oh the reason i'm not happy is because I don't own that new car. So I'm gonna get the car, then I'm gonna be happy and divine. And then you get the car and you drive around for 45 minutes and you park the car and you walk in the house and you're like, 
all right, what now? <laughs> so yeah. it's just an endless. Yeah. And it happens with relationships too. I know some people feel like they just need the perfect partner. They just haven't found that perfect partner yet, but it seems like the universe is always giving you the perfect partner to mirror back to you some aspect of your identity. That is, I don't know if people can develop faith in that, but I feel like I've seen it, you know, even just from every roommate I've ever had felt like they were at a similar level of maturity that I had to break through. I had to understand why is it that we're triggering each other in this particular relationship. And like, that's, that's the core of, of uh, spiritual growth is, 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 is the mirroring process. It seems like when you're in a relationship with someone understanding yourself better through that other person, why, why it is that you have the emotions you have when you're around them. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, relationships, I feel like can be one way that people kind of seek outwardly. Um, but, you know, ideally a, a good partner will teach you to focus inwardly again, too. That would be, you know, important thing. I think in any partner to have, some shared interest in meditation and spiritual spiritual growth at the same time. Um, yeah, my, my wife and I, um, <laughs> I met my wife the same day I met Chris. Did you know that? I met her the exact same day I met you. You both attended the same meeting in, I believe, uh, September of 2017. <laughs> so wow. it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Wait, she, what meeting? It was the ET Disclosure and Contact Discussion Meeting in, in uh, 2017 that, that you attended. Um, okay. Cool. Do, why did you attend that meeting? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember specifically, but I mean, I'm interested in the ET topics for yeah. sure. Like yeah. I back in uh, in the early 90s, even before I was in even before I started meditation and spiritual practice, I um, in fact, I think I was 19. I was working at TCBY. And I, I don't know how, but I got the uh, came across the book Communion by Whitley Strieber. And I mean, to this day, I don't know if it's real or not. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't yeah. really matter. But anyway, I read the book and I was like, man, like, you know, and you know, you know what, you know why it struck me? Because in high school, I had read several books, right, for school. Mm -hmm. But but this was the first book I read. And then the light bulb went off. I was like, this is why people read books. <laughs> Because yeah. your interest, you want that information. Like, it's not because a teacher's telling you you have to, like, you want it. And so that was like a light bulb. And then it just yeah. went from there. I got into uh, uh, Secrets of Power. Um, what's it, what's that guy's name? He was working with the, the government when they were doing remote viewing. I forget his name. He wrote a bunch of books. Ingo, Ingo Swan. Swan. Yeah, Ingo Swan. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's funny. I had a similar experience where, but I mean, I, I read books when I was a kid, but they're like fiction. I didn't realize that there were non-fictional topics that were way beyond what I'd been taught so far. It's like just having a little window into the awareness. It was Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project and his books. I started reading his books. He had meditation discussed in his books. He even had a, like a meditation at the end that he was encouraging people to do. And, and so I started meditating just from Stephen Greer alone. Um, but 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 it was the little window into the world of alternative information, of alternative ways of looking at things that you realize you have to go to books for a lot of this information. It's not it's not out there on the TV on any particular channel. You're not going to find it on the TV and on the internet. It was it's still on the internet. Hard to hard to know how to enter into some of these paths unless you have the right terms to search for. You don't know where to where to start with. Um, and even libraries and bookstores don't even really have. A huge great selection of what's out there i did want to ask you do you feel like there are like core 
Vedic or Hindu texts that are worth learning, worth reading? Uh, probably the one I most recommend is because it's the one that Charaji most recommended. He said out of all the Indian literature, he said the Bhagavad Gita is the, the most, by far, the most spiritual text because it covers that exact conundrum that we're all in. You know, in the Bhagavad Gita, you have Arjuna, who's the warrior, and he's going to war. And on the other side of the battlefield is a lot of people he knows, even some of his own family members, his old teacher, his a lot of people he knows. And he's he, he's asking Lord Krishna, how can I how are you expecting me to go and fight those and kill those people? And Lord Krishna is like, well, this is your dharma. You're a warrior. This is what you, this is what, this is your life. You have to do it. And Arjuna, anyway, and so the, the, the whole Bhagavad Gita is a dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. And Krishna keeps giving him deeper secrets to the universe and why he should do it. And, or, or not exactly why he should do it, but he's, he walks him through all these concepts and it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and the reason I love it so much is because it's also very practical. I mean, there's certain things in life you don't want to do, but you kind of have to, or you think you have to, but then maybe you have to, but then you're trying to get out of it. And it's like, well, should you get out of it? And it, it, it's so deep. It's such a, and there's, there's a, there's a translate there. Okay. So a lot of people have translated the Bhagavad Gita and I've read a bunch of them and, and, I've read four or five that are not good translations, meaning I'll read it and I just, it, it somehow it, something got lost in translation. It doesn't read very well, but I have found especially one version, which is uh, the Bhagavad Gita, a walkthrough for Westerners, which is this guy, I think he's from the US. He would go every year to ashrams in India and he, over like a 14 year period, I think, he translated himself the whole Gita with the help of his Indian friends. And, and, he, and, and the whole reason he wanted to do it is to put it in language that, let's say, a Westerner would, could understand and actually get the message. And he did an amazing job. I mean, this, this version of the Gita is so good. And it's, it really, for me, I, I was able to understand a lot of it. Um, I could add that in the notes, of course. What, what's the name of it? Or the uh, author? It's the, the Bhagavad Gita, a walkthrough for Westerners. Uh, Jack Hawley, H-A-W-L-E-Y. Yeah, I'll put that in, in the notes below. Yeah, that's that sounds great. I, I mean, I, it was blowing my mind when I first was listening to it on audiobook. It's like, that's that's in there, religion? How can... It's like, I thought I had to go to the metaphysics section to read to hear about those concepts, reincarnation and everything. Um, I don't know how, how, how much they... They have, they have a thorough... Uh, appreciation of the the metaphysical laws it seems and, and that there's actually just in the same way that there's physical laws there's metaphysical laws that shape our our reality um and, and certainly um you know I, I know there's many different traditions of beliefs around reincarnation and um and some people think it's even a distraction to focus on because of the importance of focusing on you know the present moment and not getting lost in the idea of identity being outside of yourself it's the core inner identity that seems to make the difference but but i think also that just the awareness of what's really important can show you why something like fighting a war is really just an outward illusion it's another layer of illusion 
that we become attached to and we become attached to the bodies the physical forms the manifestations it's like a, a stage everyone's a player on the stage and we're it's like each, each person is like a finger that, that is part, attached to the hand you know and we're playing out different roles for different reasons we give ourselves very clear roles and responsibilities we take on the role of a parent or the role of, a, of having a particular job and we ex we accept and we honor these roles these are not these are not like things that are have to be seen as bad because we attach ourselves to them it's like the attachments are part of you know our way through through life to to some degree but the 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 inner self is what we have to keep as liberated from the attachments right yeah yeah it's so deep and by the way i i just thought of this what might be cool if anybody wants to we could almost i don't know if it could be like a book club or book discussion where we read the we read that bhagavad gita and discuss it like you do with the law of one right maybe. yeah yeah i definitely agree that that's something i've been thinking about with other books too uh, having a a study a study of session because you know i think a lot of people they <laughs> they overlook the importance of study and and the importance of getting deep into the, these texts that are almost like multi-dimensional and they're like you can you can get so much out of it when you look at it on a different day even you like you're in a different mood on a particular day you read you read some spiritual text you'll see a different see a different angle that you've never seen before on that same same set of words so that's what right. makes the translation process so important is that you have to kind of capture some of the mystery in the in the meanings i guess yeah and one thing i've when I read texts like this, like, cause some people will read the Gita and they'll come across a concept that is so foreign to us as Westerners and they just dismiss it. Whereas I kind of think to myself, like, meaning I accept the fact that I have no idea what this means, or I accept the fact that on the surface, I do not agree with that, but I don't, but then I don't just dismiss it and and say I know better. I I try to look into it and see what am I missing because there's a reason it's in the Gita for instance. There's a reason this is being said and it's my ignorance that's why I don't understand it. It's not the book that's wrong, right? It's me. It's I I need to learn. So I take it as a uh an opportunity to to figure it out. What what is what does that mean, right? And there's a lot of that in that book. It's it's pretty very deep, very deep. Yeah, yeah. It takes some humility, and I, I think that's the same with with any situation in life when you're initially you're you're confronted with something you don't understand or so, so you can't understand someone's energy. I think understanding and love and forgiveness all go together. You know, as you're understanding, you're beginning to be able to, to take in a, a bigger scope of of reality that that person is representing or that book is that teaching. So. Um, what what other books and authors do you feel have been like the most profound to you? Um, wow, I I would love I'd love to be in front of my bookshelf right now. Um, <laughs> I actually just I don't know why again, and maybe there's something to this, but I grabbed this one before we started. This little it's a little book called Silent Power by Stuart Wilde. It, it it's literally it not only is it small right it's fits in the palm of my hand but it's also very short well it's 100 pages but they're tiny but anyway um i remember reading this and i loved it and i've read it a couple times um yeah there's a lot of books i mean the the dao te ching as well i have the whatever definitive translation of that it's very good um 
Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, maybe I should, I could prepare. I could share, yeah, I could share. I, I love the Course in Miracles and the Law of One books, of course. And have, um, the Course in Miracles, I keep coming back to, it's like, that seems to be one of the more intricate and deep philosophy teachings that originally kind of, I know, I know I was only getting like 10% out of it when I was reading it the first time back like 10 years ago. But as I read it now, it's like everything is just clicking in this way that it's like an otherworldly intelligence that I, it's hard, hard to even put, put, put words on how they, how they phrase things. I've never heard a, a Course in Miracles teacher kind of phrase things the exact same way without, without quoting it, because it's, it's almost like it's reversing thinking from being like, a, a lot of times we think of like forgiveness and openness as being like a weakness and our, and our society is teaching us strength is like control, strength is control, but flipping things on its head kind of reveals the exact opposite is the truth. If you want, if you want to gain and strengthen this world, you have to gain in your, your acceptance of the world as it is and, and honesty with the world as it is. And, and that's something that's, that keeps, keeps hitting me is, 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 you know, just, just being like the free flowing river is kind of like the, the secret to, to happiness, not the, not the controlling aspect of life, but the, but the acceptance aspects. Yeah. And that reminds me of a thought I had recently, by the way, everyone watching in the chat here, maybe if you can put your, whatever books you're reading or you, your favorite books too, I would love to, yeah. to read that. But recent, but just, um, within the past few days, I had this thought that let's say you meet someone and they're very vulgar and they're yelling at you. And, you know, I think of like political people yelling and screaming at each other. But let's say you meet someone and they start yelling and screaming at you. And, 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 and this is for me, but this, this is just my thought to, so I can improve myself. But I would love to be able to look at that person and experience that person. And 95% of what I feel about that person should be that they're a divine being. There's love in their heart. And what, what a, what a chance to be alive in the, you know, in the physical world, you know, to be born as a human being and like, and love and respect. And then the 5% is like the annoying political thing they said. And, and, I, but so what I'm saying is I, I'm still learning and I'm trying to like, to accept people to that degree. I mean, almost like a saint would, right? Like, but because that's what I, I, that's how I want to take people because that's how I, that's what I really think they are. It's just a habit for me to get upset or to argue back, right? Like it's just a bad habit. So I'm trying to clean, you know, I'm not trying, I'm just, whatever, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yep. They call it an exercise in the, in the law of one books to see other selves as the creator, see the self as the creator, see other selves as the creator. It's an exercise. It's a, it's a habit. It's a practice you have to work on. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's also like, it's the, it's, it's a long journey. Also, when you, when you see something other than the infinite creator, when you see someone else, you're, you, you know, we're seeing limitation on all the different levels that that person is representing to us and mirroring back to us, but getting, getting to the core of it, like it's, it's a long journey. And I, I see it as the same thing as, you know, opening the heart and uh, accessing higher intelligence. You know, the love one says that the, the heart is the springboard to infinite intelligence. So it's like we're we're using that foundation of a willingness to be open-hearted as a way to perceive the intelligence of God through that experience. I think mm. so. Yeah, it's definitely 
important to make that a discipline, I think. Right. Um, Trish says, The Book of Light by Daniel Prock. The Book of Light. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. All right. Oh, and Victoria. Which one? Michael DeMar. Oh, Theoba Prophecy, The Golden Planet. Yeah. I think it's called Tuba. Oh, something like that. Yeah, that's very interesting too. I, I have to, I have to dig into that one a little bit more because that was one of the most fantastic stories of a contactee going off to another planet and having incredible experiences of teaching and, um, yeah, <laughs> the the number of fascinating books out there is just, it's just, it's just incredible what yeah. what people have experienced that you don't hear about unless you dig in really deep into some of these subjects. Um, so what, what, what is it that you're trying to achieve in your lifetime now? Do you, do you have a, a plan or do you just trusting the universe right now? Uh, well, so I'll give you my ultimate future vision is to have a large area of land and to have a retreat center or, and maybe even more than a retreat center. I don't know, but, um, yeah, to be to have a a large piece of land where people can come and and have a retreat, you know, disconnect from society and and all that, and then also on that land also be more self sufficient, right? Because right. if the if the s hits the fan, you know, you need water, you need food, and right. So right. anyway, that's what that's like my dream and my vision. I don't know how to make that happen. Um, and I'm not um, typically, like some people who want to achieve big goals, they just become so single focused and they just talk to everyone about it. And they ask people, like like if I, let's say I need uh, $20 million to buy this land and build this thing. If I was like a robot, I learned this from a great sales trainer. If I was like a robot, I could just go around saying, can you please give me $20 million for this retreat center? No. Okay. Can you please give me $20 million? Can you please give me $20 million? Like if literally, if you ask enough people, eventually someone's going to say yes. And, but, but here's the thing. That's not really my personality. Like to go, I'm, I'm not like, that's not me. I'm more of an engineer, right? I'm a, I'm an audio engineer. I'm a little technical geek kind of a thing like i you know what i mean that's my yeah. thing so anyway yeah. that's my I, i've had a hard time asking for money too for things but i know that like as i as i get more active in helping people it's like we we're forming connections and i know there's people who are talking about this vision this kind of goal to get more kind of sustainable communities built up in many different ways. So it seems like an inevitability that we're all kind of moving this, these sorts of directions that, that we're going to work together more to make these things happen. Um, because right now, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what could happen on this planet, but it feels like people are still going in the wrong direction to, to a large degree in terms of the chaos and the lack of peace, I guess. Maybe peace is a good benchmark to, to say society might be going in the wrong direction right now. And we're, we want to find more peace and not less peace through our building up of our of our ambitions, I guess. Um, so I want to add one thing. One, one of the things like that's my dream to have the, a lot of land in a retreat center. 
and that's great. But on the other hand, spiritually speaking, I can't be tied to that dream. Right. Because I have to be okay if that dream never happens. Because this is just the physical world and it's okay, it's a good thought, it's a good dream, but okay, if it doesn't happen, does that is that bad? No. It just is what it is. So it that's the weird thing about like people who are very worldly and ambitious and they're go-getters, they can get stuff done, which is great. But if if people like us or, you know, people trying to learn to be more in the oneness and, and, and spiritual, whatever you want to call it, like, does it really matter? Does it really matter if I get the retreat center or not? You know what I mean? And in, and in the big picture, no, it doesn't matter. So it's kind of a weird place to be in. Like, this would be great, but it's not necessary. So I, I, that's why maybe that's why I've been a little apprehensive to like make it my official goal and to go talk yeah. to people. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, goals are an interesting, um, yeah, dichotomy or it's, it's like, I, I definitely have felt sometimes goals are helpful to set a deadline, but then if I make the deadlines too important, then I become stressed out about the deadlines and, and they kind of overtake my, my, my state of peace completely. Um, even though, you know, I, I can make them in all, all the best intentions, they they can be completely taking me in the wrong direction when, by the time they get close, you know. Um, Thanks, uh, Debbie. <laughs> what did she say? She said she uh, not being attached to the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So you have done retreats uh, already, though. You've started hosting retreats in the past. For yeah, we've done we've done three or four weekend retreats, which is great. Um, yeah, they've been really good. It's it's almost like a version of our meetup, but over a whole weekend and uh yeah they've been good but it's hard you know because it costs money and then it's it's i don't know yeah yeah it's yeah i maybe it's worth experimenting more with uh, groups here in colorado and um, i think i think i have an intention to help other people get started with different kinds of retreats and now there's an interesting potentials that <laughs> I, I, I i have to be careful what i say but it's fascinating that now as of last november we have legalized psilocybin we have legalized mescaline we have legalized dmt um for for personal use and sharing and growing the plants it's weird to have plants that are illegal to to grow and to share that, that that's just a strange strange world we live in i guess but that now there's kind of a natural liberation i think people are ready for um kind of getting back to nature and the plants are seen as a medicine and the shamanic cultures that people increasingly I, increasingly i'm finding people you know that have the story of going to down to south america and getting some shamanic training and um, i know even that's kind of become a weird industry and business with around ayahuasca um, but even the native americans in this culture you know have the cactus and they have their own ways of doing ceremonies and it's kind of a universal thing that the western cultures have kind of lost that we can actually you know modify our consciousness a little bit and in my mind it you know helps you just like meditation you know a psychedelic can almost be like a forced meditation to, to look a little bit deeper into the subconscious mind and, and clean up some of the junk that you didn't know was, was you were holding onto, even though you're, you know, every day where it's like a heavy weight we're carrying onto sometimes with some of the baggage and we just don't notice until we do have some kind of retreat or way to get away from that, from that baggage for a time to, to look at it from a different angle. And I suppose even sometimes it's like when people get into a serious car accident or something and they're in the hospital, even that is like a little bit of a retreat for their, for them that they have to take a meditation and 
and look at things differently as long as they're not on too many pharmaceuticals i guess would, yeah 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 some um, some some people say that even when when people get sick that's nature's way of saying no 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 sit down you know you're not going anywhere for three four days just sit down lay down you know that's like nature's way of putting on the brakes and saying stop right very interesting yep pause your life <laughs> so yeah trish, uh trish is patiently impatiently waiting for spring to plant yeah my wife's upstairs doing like plant she has the little seedlings of what did she say i think it was onions or something we have these she has these grow lamps inside the house you know little stuff to get ready to plant so it's really nice she really loves that i love it too but i mean i help a little but she does most of it but yeah yeah people can feel free to ask questions now i think we're, we've gone a little over an hour here so anyone wants to jump into the conversation more we can we can get more um ideas and feedback here for continuing the discussions um And I, I, I could share that I was, you know, thinking of doing more kinds of uh, content with Chris here in the future. Um, we could talk about so many different kinds of things going on. Um, you know, I think that it's valuable for people to uh, have some processing of the the craziness of the world and some some ability to recognize the freedom that is always possible in the midst of that craziness. Um, and it certainly seems like, you know, the dark night of the soul is the most significant example of that but to some degree we each have you know if we're reading the news and we get triggered we have like many dark nights of the soul every day too that we have to have to recognize we don't need that energy we can kind of step away from that that energy um and some i have some friends who are like i don't i don't want to see anything at all anything related to the news i just want to block that out of my life and they can it's usually universal people have like wonderful time when they when they are very disciplined about blocking that that out but at the same time, we're kind of engaged in a culture where you can't you can't block it out. Everyone's talking about certain things, um, depending on your work environment and your home environment. Um, the, the the subjects tend to come up, and even with family, like people have to deal with family members with different belief systems. You know, I had one friend who had to like, you know, lie about who they voted for to their to their family. And it's like, how, how do we get to this point in our society where, you know, the family bonds are less important than the spirit the political beliefs basically right by the way that's the gita what you just described i don't want to be involved politically but i kind of have to be at least a little involved politically so that 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 is the what the gita is about how do you handle that how do you, because the and the answer is you should be involved in politics to, to whatever degree you should be but it shouldn't affect you at all like it should, you should, it should be like your, it, you know what I mean? Like you should say what you need to say. You should vote how you want to vote. And, but it should never affect your heart, which is yeah. easier said than done. Yeah. Um, by the way, I wrote, so I've been getting into songwriting over the last year and a half. I mean, I've always been a musician. I've always been in bands. I've been, I'm an audio engineer with a lot of album credits and I've worked on a lot of albums and I'm, I've, so I've done a lot of engineering. I've done a lot of drumming. I've done a lot of arranging, but one thing I've never done really is writing lyrics and trying to write songs in terms of lyrics. And so I've been writing, I've been, there's a local group here I've been meeting with and it's just been, 
you know, just to try to learn a craft is so, you know, a craft that is so close to everything I love. It's really fascinating. I mean, there's a, there's a local group here in town where these guys have been meeting for 30 years. Now they're old guys, but they're songwriters. And like, I'm just being like such a student to them. I'm just trying to absorb everything because I want to learn. And it's so funny. They feel that. And now they're, they're helping me. Right. So anyway, I've been writing a bunch of lyrics and stuff. And last night I wrote something that, uh, I think is pretty interesting. It's not, it doesn't sound, it sounds more like poetry now because it was more, I just kind of did it quick, but, uh, it, it might be relevant to what, it's, it kind of is relevant to what we're talking about. So I don't know if you would want me to, to read that. If, sure. if you guys want to hear that, let me know, let us know in the chat. Yeah, we, we're, we're flexible. We, um, I, I want to, or we could save it for next time. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I also realized it's like, oh my gosh, that I hope to see more poetry now that people can write a poem just with, with a few prompts to chat GPT. <laughs> Gonna, all right the whole, the whole world is going to change now i think it's amazing all right layla says yes but debbie says yeah next time so maybe we'll do it next time yeah right yeah sweet yeah encourage us to plan a little bit more around that sharing yeah I, i've benefited from um, many kinds of songs um uh christian songs and um yeah other cr creative creative songs it's kind of like music has a way of putting you in an altered state on its own you know and I suppose that that can be useful and also unhelpful if people are stuck in a state that they can't get out of and that music is reinforcing that state. Mm. I don't know if that's happening at all, but um, yeah, there's so many great kinds of peaceful music to get people into a better state. Right. I've, you know, I've, I've wondered since I was a kid about, you know, the effect of rock music and rap music. And it's like, is there different kinds of music that, that um, is putting people in an aggressive state? I don't know if aggression is the right word for it, though. But some, just maybe to some degree, I feel like when you become experiencing that 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 aggressive state that the song is representing, it's almost like you're working through that energy, and it's no longer it's no longer something that you're bothered by anymore. It's like you become immune to it in some way. You're you're immunized immunized to the energy of the song when you see once you've heard it enough times. I guess. Interesting. Yeah, because when I was young, when I was a teenager, I was really into like like heavy music, like heavy metal. And, but I, but you know, I was never like a murderer or a serial killer. Like, you know what I mean? But so that what you just said makes sense. It's like you, you, it's, it's an energy that you sort of have to work through, but it doesn't mean that you're going to, it doesn't mean you have to use it the wrong way or the right way, but so you kind of have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and read it for us. Go ahead and read the, the song that you wrote. Oh yeah. You want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. All right, so it's called Wishing for an Answer. Wishing for an Answer. The full moon, my only companion. I looked far out over the ocean, wishing for an answer. I walked on creaky boards. I felt the mist from the crashing waves below pulled up my hood, sat with my head down, breathing to the rhythm of the waves, asking for an answer. Families nearby are having nice dinners, 
I've never felt more lonely. At the end of the pier, at the end of my rope, I'm asking you to reach down and soothe me. I'm on the pier, but I'm lost at sea. I'd be frightened to death if you weren't here with me. Just for a minute, I wish I could forget myself. Thankfully, this night has allowed me to be alone with you and your steady heartbeat. A big ship far offshore, a shooting star intrigues me more. Perfect time to wish for an answer. The future is shrouded in darkness, but you promise to light my every step. Each day going forward, your warm hands calm my fears. Maybe there's no need after all to wish for an answer. At one point, I felt the answer cannot be far away. Then suddenly I heard these words as clear as day. My little one, if you're quiet, you can hear me. If you close your eyes, I am there. Whenever you're alone, I will find you. Anytime, anywhere. I love you from the inside out. Never give up and never doubt. Relax, child, you are safe. I have you in the palm of my hand. Instantly overwhelmed with gratitude, my tears fell into the sea. I sat there for at least an hour in reverence, blessed with this miraculous reminder of what I always knew in my heart was true. I walked off that pier a new man, climbed down some rocks and walked in the sand. Everything changed from that night forward. More quiet time and more eyes closed. I learned to flow. More and more things fell into place. Now for me, the two best things in life are the answer I got and the smile on your face. Very nice. That's awesome. I, I, I like, I like in, in songs that are written like that, that there's always an opportunity to kind of interchange the idea of God for the idea of the lover, you know, that there's, there's, there's the same, same energy there that, that they're, you're, you're, you're seeking this completion through that energy. Yeah. yeah that reminds me, I, the, there was one, uh, person from France who was also, I met in India at the ashram and we were talking about this and he basically said that you can almost listen to any love song and think about it in terms of either loving God or loving the master. I mean, unless it's really specific, you know, like whatever, but, but if it's more just general love, like love, like there's a love between two things, like you can always, yeah, it's so cool that you can take it many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, Trish. So do you, so I know that we're, we're talking about many different subjects and, and paths. Uh, do you feel like they're, they're, 
there really isn't any one path that everyone has to find their own path to, to, to spiritual growth to, to practice. Yeah, definitely, because it's not... The path is not outside of you. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, what, what that meditation practice I was doing for years, was that really outside of myself? No, it was so. So, this is the thing about human consciousness: we don't understand it. We don't know where it begins and ends. We confuse it with physical things, and so, yeah, I there. I believe there are different paths, and and some of those paths go the wrong way too, right? There's there's bad, there's dark paths, good, whatever, and we're all going like this, sort of. So yeah, I mean, it's it's everything is individual, right? There's no you there's nothing universal in terms of like a path or something, right? Literally yeah. every person's path is different. So yeah. Yeah, I guess it's interesting though. I feel like the 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 most consistently useful thing people can do is meditate though. So it's almost like you know, f finding some path that includes meditation is is the easier way to to navigate this world because without meditation, it's like you're just you're just piling on all of the the junk more and more, without without working back down through it more to the core of what's I guess what would be the simpler path, which is directly accessing God within you or accessing you know the inner the inner voice or something like that. Yeah, meditation is just very fundamental. However, take me when I was, I don't know, 27 or 23, I had to keep going down to hit the bottom. So if you told me to meditate when I was 25, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to do it because I had to go down. Right. Yep. Yes. And only after I went down, then I can come up and meditation can help. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There are many kinds of seeking in this world that I you, you couldn't say that they're they're inappropriate because they're all, they're all leading down the path, and the path has to eventually reconverge with, I guess, your your intended path for incarnation, or the intended path of the higher self. Was there any principle of a higher self or a, a you know higher aspect that was a part of the self in in your studies? Yeah, so the, in you know in Master's teaching, it's basically that e each human being started off as a part of God, and then slowly, it the, the individual soul started to separate from God, and then the individual soul at some point realized it was separate from God, and then it had thoughts and feelings and then a body and now you have me and you and all of us here in the chat so we're still part of the the essence of us is still part of god but we've added all these layers and so it, you know theoretically speaking the whole spiritual practice is you're just trying to remove these layers you know and we're also undergoing the fruits or the the karma of our actions, right? If you, you know, 
if you drank a bottle of Jack Daniels right now in about 15 minutes, we know what's going to happen. Why? Because that's what happens. <laughs> you, it's cause and effect. It's, it's very simple. So we, it, it, each of us in our past, we've had a lot of causes that caused me to be here. And that's fine because you know we're just the universe experiencing itself but if we want to go back we have to sh we have to clean out those causes release them until there's nothing until there's no you know babaji described it as like a cocoon around our soul you know we've 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 intertwined we've, we've covered up ourselves the the light in our heart has been covered up and now we're sitting here arguing, is there really light in my heart and all that? Well, of course there is, but we don't, why don't you see it then? Well, because you covered it up. What did Jesus say? Don't, don't hide your lamp under a bushel or something. Yeah. Yeah. Let it shine for everyone to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we don't know how to let it shine because we're so covered, but, but this is the spiritual practice. Let's release it. Let's shine. And then therefore the goal of the spiritual practice in terms of what Babaji and Charji taught was that in this life, we can really clean out everything and offload everything. And therefore at the moment of death, we merge back with the divine and we're not reborn. But if you don't release everything, if you take all this stuff with you, then you have to be reborn until you let it go. That's why Babaji said, you can be a good man. You can do good things. You can earn money, give to charity. You can be a good man. Well, you're going to be reborn as a good man. But being reborn as a good man is not the goal. The goal is to merge back, to go home. You know, it's theoretically. It's part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's almost like, um, I, I assume that there's a strong desire to return when we when we see an opportunity for resolving our our our, our karma, I guess our baggage, um, when we're in be, in between incarnations, that's the way I, I understand from the raw contact is that we're you know we're actively kind of like outlining what is what is the most potentially useful incarnation for us to have the experiences that let us drop off these things that we've been holding onto or attached to, but which is it also seems to be connected to other people too, because it's like you know we incarnate with families who have, we're kind of like equally carrying each other's baggage when we're when we're, when we're choosing this kind of relationship where we know that person's going to trigger us we know we're going to trigger the other person and we're going to we're going to keep on um, butting heads in this particular way until we both kind of are done with it and it, it seems like we're kind of doing this together uh, also and i assume that's kind of you know uh, just a part of life that, that we're a part of these societies and we choose to be have particular parents that will give us particular kinds of experiences and get us enmeshed in the same energies that we were wanting to work through. So I guess it's fascinating that the, the people in India might actually understand that a little bit, that they they feel like there's a there's a reason to their reincarnation, I guess. Right. Reminds me of a story that uh, one of Lord Krishna's devotees, I think his name was Narada, he was in India and he was walking and he's a, basically a saint. They could think of Narada as a saint. And he, he came across a very spiritual man, a, a man who's been practicing spirituality for lifetimes and very seriously 
practicing and the the spiritual man asked Narada how many more lifetimes do i have left and Narada said two and the spiritual man was crushed he was angry he was frustrated after all this practice i still I still have two lives left so Narada keeps walking. He comes across this guy who's looked like a crazy person. He's just like singing and whatever. And and this guy asks Narada, how many lifetimes do I have left? And Narada says, you see that tree? As many leaves are on that tree, that's how many lifetimes you have left. And the guy said, really? Wonderful. I love it. And he's just da-da-da. <laughs> and in that moment, Narada liberated him. He was done because of his attitude. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, um, yeah, that, that's a trend in our, in our culture that people are frustrated by their, by their existence and not, not seeing it as opportunities for growth. And, you know, it seems like this gets back into the, the heart of what meditation is doing is freeing us from the perceptions that there's something wrong with the present moment when the present present moment is, it's where we're, we're, we're completely liberated if we choose to allow it to, to be that. Yeah, do, do, you, do you feel like there is a path to, you know, instantaneous liberation? Was that ever taught in your schools of thought? Um, I think what Babaji said is that it, it is possible, but that sort of comes down to like grace or whatever you want to call it. Like that's a, that's a special thing. So like mm -hmm. in the story I just told, it was Narada who bestowed that on the guy. He, it didn't happen just all on its own. So there's always a chance um, from what I've understood. Um, yeah, I don't really know much else besides that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked to several people who have experiences that are like uh, experiences that are very profound, like infinite intelligence, just, just knowing everything whenever just instant knowledge of whatever they want to know instant complete state of peace complete surrender um and then that may last for a few days a few hours a few days a few weeks i've, I've heard this from different people a similar experience that will last and then they'll start having thoughts of themselves again they'll start thinking in terms of their their identity or have fear come in and then and then it's over and, and then they have to go back to their normal way of doing things but it's like an integration process after that I don't know if these are gifts from the divine that come to these people that they have this experience for a short period of time to show them what's possible. And uh, I, I, I've had, you know, very, very small snapshots that I feel like I've had in dream states and maybe in meditation, just small windows to something that's unspeakable. Um, and I know that my whole life is like, just like a, a small drop in an ocean compared to the ocean of our true identity, which we're always able to tap into if we if we are single pointed enough i guess in our will to pursue that that awareness um but I, yeah i guess it's not really the right thing to be focused on either because i think we could become overly focused on a shortcut <laughs> there are people who, who teach what they call the direct path now and it's almost like the idea is that there's a shortcut which is the direct path and we have to be continuously looking for that the shortcut all the time but i think that the shortcut is always whatever we're currently experiencing if we're just willing to find find it there mm. um and and not fight it i guess not fight it as being um 
not right. the right path for us. Yeah, know. I love that idea. And I, I think I've heard it from you too. The idea that whatever you need to progress spiritually, at every moment, life is giving you that experience. Every yeah. moment. That's, to me, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like mind blown. Yeah, it's I mean, like every everything is so engineered around our, our our metaphysical journey too. It's like you know we the synchronicities that we experience, the strange coincidences, the way things unfold. It's like the universe is always kind of telling telling us that this is this is divinely planned right now, and we kind of we kind of down downgrade our experiences to say that this is just another day. This is just is just everything I always experience. You know, right? Very interesting. Yeah, there's obviously the famous quote about, I don't know where it came from, that chopping wood and carrying water uh, is what you do before and after enlightenment. It's the same same journey. Hmm. So, I, But I assume that the masters will have a different perspective as they're doing their, their services. They have a different perspective on everyone around them and on their reality as they engage in what would seem, seem to be the mundane experiences of life. They Maybe they see it differently. Would that make sense to say? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they probably see it all in terms of dharma, right? Dharma means your duty, right? That means like, what are you supposed to do? Like, if you have a house, like you said, you got to chop wood and carry water. Or if you have a child, you have to take care of the child. Like, these are not, I mean, in reality, these aren't optional things. I think a lot of people in the West now, whatever weirdness you know, people who are not spiritually connected or religious at all, they think they can just do anything and everything's fine. And it's like, well, you can do anything, but there's a price for a lot of that. Uh, but I, what I like is that, I mean, the mainly Babaji and Charaji, really, they just would meditate with people, right? They're just, it. they're using their, whatever they have to have people sit down and meditate and also, you know, give them transmission and, and clean them. And um, so they're, they're actually doing spiritual work, right? They're cleaning people. Like that's one thing the master does. And not only does he transmit a higher essence into you, but j just as you clean yourself every evening in the practice, the master can clean you even more. I mean, I, we, in fact, as a, as a prefect, as someone who's been trained to give one-on-one -on -one individual sittings, that's what I've been trained to do is to sit with people one-on-one -on -one for 30, 40 minutes. And there's a cleaning aspect to what I do. There's a transmission aspect and it's not what I do though. It's, it's the master coming through me, right? I'm just the conduit. So, so, so is that what you're doing? You're visualizing, are you reaching out to the master and calling on them or how, how does it happen? Well, the one shortcut is you just, it, it's not you sitting there. It's the master sitting there. I see. And then, and then that's where the will comes in because when you're cleaning someone in front of you, you know, there's these, we're taught how to, there's a, there's a concept of reading the condition, right? So we can read the condition of a, the person sitting in front of us and that we can see where there might be more samskara or not. And we see which, maybe which part of the heart needs to be cleaned more. And we can use our will, which is really the master's will to clean things. And then we also use the master's will for the transmission. So it's, it's a remarkable system. I mean, when I was in New Jersey, I was giving 
15 or 20 sittings a week. Almost every evening, what, two or three people would come to our house for one-on-one. I would sit with each one for 30, 40 minutes and give them a sitting. So if anyone local here in Colorado Springs, if you want a sitting, then this is sort of what I was I was actually hinting at when when you were here the other day. Remember what I t- remember what I said to Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah. She asked about it later too. She wasn't sure exactly yeah. what 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 that was. Well, I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, I, I totally it totally <laughs> makes more sense now. So I'm gonna we're yeah, gonna yeah. come back over and get that clearing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Be wonderful. Yeah. 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 So it's it's interesting that it's a. I think it's also connected to um, what the law of one calls the invoking the magical personality. There's different phrases for the same kind of principle where you're basically setting your separate identity aside. You're allowing that aspect of the self, which you see as God to come in and be you for that moment. And then you're, and then you're allowing the miracle to happen. That's not from you. It's from the divine that you're able to see that happen. Precisely. And by the way, you can sort of have that attitude in regular life too. Yeah. When you walk into the store to buy some bread, you can actually think that it's the master walking through the aisle to get the bread. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's a funny thing with pride and humility that like people will, (laughs) people will uh, try to build up themselves and see, I, I have the very spiritual person who's doing this thing now. And in the process, you're just, putting kicking the goalpost further you know you're kicking the can down the road when you're saying this concept of the separate identity that i've built for myself is the one who is god who's super awesome and doing all these things and and you you have to kind of set that aside to have this experience of of emptiness i i don't know if emptiness of the self is the right way of looking at it but you're becoming full, filled in some way with something that is completely beyond you and using your incarnation using your vehicle your physical vehicle for a time for that purpose, I guess. Right. And what you just said is the exact reason why the masters say that you need to have a physical master. Because Mm -hmm. if you, like me, let's say I was, you know, giving these, you know, giving these sittings and I'm, you know, it's, I start to develop an ego. The physical master can see that. And he, then he, he, it, then he would correct me. Right. Because I can't see that myself. I mean, I can see a little, but not everything. But the physical master can see, oh, this guy, I'm training him to do the spiritual work. And now his, his, his ego is getting inflated. And now that so the physical master is the one who can take you down a notch, right? When he needs to. Right. Yeah. And to, to a degree, people can see that as being Jesus, I guess. It's not, not, not impossible to have a guru that is dead. <laughs> And certainly I've, I've had some experiences, you know, from I, I've heavily researched Neem Karoli Baba and I just love everything about Neem Karoli Baba's life. And, and it's like, people can't even write a book that contains all the stories because you don't, you don't know who has all the stories. There's so many different scattered people with different stories about him because he was just appearing in different places as he would apparently bilocate to help people. Um, but, but I feel like, you know, it's, it's the same principle where, if I can, if I can surrender to the guru on some sense and feel his energy, I can I can kind of tap into awareness of something that's beyond me that's that's harder to, very hard to describe, um, but but I feel like he was teaching people that that you should you should see me as 
as the father, see me as um, the, the one who's got it taken care of. You could hand all of your concerns over to me. And he would tell people, look at my picture. Go ahead, come to my picture, on, hang my picture on the wall, come to my picture and give everything to me through the picture and I will take care of it. Um, so it seems like it's like he, he realized that, or the aspect of himself, which is divine, realized that that's what everyone is needing is to, is to see God to a large enough degree that it's a doorway that they can go through and, and have access to that, um, I guess, liberation through that, that, that kind of awareness. Yeah, Muller and I just watched that you you that documentary on YouTube that you recommended. We watched it yeah. like that day, that night that you guys were here. We literally watched it that night, and it was, yeah. I didn't know about him, but and and I'll tell you the one thing that sort of impressed me the most. I mean, I use the word impressed loosely because it's not impressed. It's anyway. He didn't have a teaching, right? zero <laughs> that that is interesting <laughs> or it was a different teaching for everybody who came to him you know a different kind of teaching right, right. right. Yeah. but it wasn't like a practice and there weren't right. ashrams and all. yeah it was yeah yeah it's it's very funny hearing uh ram das's stories too i listen to many of ram das's lectures being with neem Karoli baba and and it's almost like ram das knew that his anger was such an issue that that that's why the, the guru had to push his buttons in all these different ways. And it's like, that was the teaching was to push his buttons. Right. Because he, he was capable of recognizing that's what the guru was doing and, and stepping out of that, I guess. That's great. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you so much. Wonderful to hang out with you today. Yeah, this is fun, fun conversation. Um, did we see any, anyone else have any questions or anything come up? Well, we can keep talking about gurus and things. I know there's a saying, God, guru, and self are one. Um, and that, that's kind of been the, the way I've, I've tried to see it with, um, you know, as we were describing the, 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 the seemingly separate entity who is the guru, the master, um, is, is also you. And if you can't see that being is also you, then it's harder to understand their role, I guess, as, as teaching you the nature of the self, I guess. Is self-realization a concept that, that was used much in your teaching, your practice? Uh, yeah, realization is a concept that's a very high concept. I think it's just below uh, merger. The ultimate goal being merger, which is you merge with the divine, then you're, you're gone. Realization is, is definitely way up there, though, self-realization. Thanks, Trish. Yeah, this was great, right? I, I'm, I've been having a ball. I hope I'm not, you know, I, ho I hope, uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys like it. Yeah. I even, yeah. I even read my song that I wrote last night. You guys <laughs> like that, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to share this on, you know, more platforms, uh, YouTube, and get, get more, um, I'm still getting started with Essential Works TV here and podcasting in general and you've, you've been you had a podcast for a long time called the mystic show right how many years did you do that for yeah well i still have it uh mm -hmm. i started it in uh 2013 
and I still have it. I, I, but I only put out, I don't put out episodes very much anymore, but I'm open to putting out more episodes. It's just that, you know, things run their course and, you know, right. you, you have, there's high points and low points. And so what, what was the process of uh, doing that show? Were you, did you find a lot of different spiritual teachers through that? Or was it everyone you, you came across that you liked what they had to say? Yeah, actually, no, I, it wasn't, it's not a show where I, I mean, I did interview a handful of people, mm-hmm. um, including um, the author of The Biology of Belief. Uh, Bruce Lipton. Bruce Lipton, which was a great episode. Uh, but no, I started that show just, it was like a monologue, really. I just wanted to talk about a lot of these spiritual concepts. Like I'd be reading a book and I'd be like, Hey, it'd be great. You know, here's a concept. Let me just talk about it on the show. Um, so that's really what it was. That's really what it still is. Uh, I, I didn't want it to be an interview show because it, I mean, I'm not against interviews, but I didn't, I didn't want it to be that. So it wasn't. Yeah. I think there's a time and place for everything. Yeah. And I'm hoping to have a lot of interviews on this platform and also, um, a lot of teachings, um, so yeah, I, I love that you have this, <laughs> you have uh, this totally foreign experience to a lot of people of staying in India and staying at, did you stay in many different ashrams and you say that the quality of living was, was the hardest thing to adapt to, but were there things that were pleasantly surprising about the culture? Oh, the people. I mean, just the, the, the heart, the heart of the people is just, it's so different in, in America you can walk anywhere you, you can even meet people and people say hi and but it's there's the a lot of times the heart's not in it but somehow in india that there's just it it just more heart in individual things it's hard to explain but um yeah and and yeah it, it really opened my eyes the whole experience i mean and me and my wife talk about this all the time that cuz you know we'll see you know on the news or somewhere that all these young people are complaining and, you know, you know, arguing and, you know, and, and me and my wife are often say they should go to India for two months, go live in India for two months. Then you come back here and I guarantee you're not going to be arguing about this stupid nonsense because they, we, we just don't know. We just don't know. There's no perspective. So, uh, yeah, if any, like, I encourage everyone and anyone to go for these experiences and and you got to go with your heart. If your heart says to do it, then do it. If your heart says, no, maybe not India, maybe go somewhere else, whatever, follow your heart. But the more, the different experiences you can have, it's just perspective. You know, it's, it's, you, you start to see the same thing from different angles and and then you then you get a better idea of what that thing actually is instead of just having one viewpoint and you don't know any other viewpoint right yeah yeah i i I certainly feel like western culture is is it's hard to break out of the the box if you don't have anything to kind of shake you up a little bit um but it it does feel like you know i was raised to watch a lot of television (laughs) and i've got all these different programmings from that it's like literally called programming you know and and i don't know if um the fact that we have more tv in in our culture or more 
more media, more access to these kinds of things, or more expectation that we spend our times engaged in these things that were kind of like more dumbed down or brainwashed and held back in some ways. But but it does seem like disconnecting yourself from the culture seems to be one of the one of the easiest ways to get back to a, a more peaceful style of spirituality, at least um, maybe just temporarily even or, or continuously like like with retreats, I guess would be one way of doing it. Do you feel like you have any any way that you need to disconnect? Um, you mean re like recently, like now? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think it was two years ago or three years ago. I it was sort. It, I did it sort of for business, but sort of for a break. I I went on a, just a retreat by myself. I actually rented a cabin here in Colorado, and I went there for. I think I spent four days by myself, and I took a bunch of books, you know, a lot of good spiritual books, but also some business books because I was sort of, I wanted to reflect on what I was doing with my business and sort of plan out the whole year. I did this right around New Year's, right? Just before New Year's or something like that. So I just needed to be by myself for four days and just sit and think. I mean, it sounds so silly, but like, when's the last time you sat, you just were able to just sit and think? You know what, what? What was uh? It was either Henry Ford or someone like that. He says thinking is the most important work there is, mm -hmm. and think and thinking is hard. It's hard to think. That's why so few people do it. So I went for four days and I did it. And of course I meditated and I did all that too. It was great. Um, so I I always love doing that. Um, I haven't. So, Charaji was born in 1927. So in 2027, for his 100th year birth anniversary, we were planning to go to India. And we are going to go to the the ashram. They they have a new ashram in a different place that I've never been to yet. And so we are planning that because uh, we, you know, we still have some family in India too. So that's, that's probably the big one. But again, that's 20, that's four years from now. Um, but hopefully in the meantime, locally here in Colorado, we can maybe organize a retreat, you know, and yeah, you know, even with, with, with Airbnbs and stuff, like maybe it doesn't have to be that expensive and, uh, but I don't know. Uh, so I'd, lo I'd love to work with you on that. And if everyone watching, if you are in this area or wherever you are, you know, happy to talk about retreats and try to plan them. And, you know, we've had, I know you've had experience, I've had experience. So if anybody watching this is like, if you would like to organize a retreat and you need a little help or assistance or some input, I mean, just reach out. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like this is a good direction to be going into create more templates and um, more teachings around, around this and also offering opportunities for experience of some of this. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to mention that we, uh, we do the pause your life meetups, my wife and I do it. And we, and, 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 but I had a, a friend I told him about the pause your life meetups and he said, Oh, that sounds great. I'd love to do something like that. I said, I'll give, I'll, I'll teach you the format. I'll give you everything. I, and so he was in uh, Canada, Ontario, Canada. He started his own little chapter of pause your life and he did it for like three, four years. 
he does he he stopped because you know everything has its life cycle and stuff but but he really did it and he we we gave him the handouts for the readings we told him how to make the universe box and we we explained everything the meditation technique and he loved it and he he ran a local group so again if you're watching this and you would and you want to do something like this just reach out we can help would you like to share your email address uh sure have it some other way you can decide yeah no email's good let me look up the uh the pause your life it's, it's a website still too right pauseyourlife.org is that the website that's true pauseyourlife.org there's a contact page you can you can send me a uh you can yeah i have a recommended i've been trying to encourage people to host their own meetup groups for a long time too because it's like you know a lot of people they go on meetup.com they feel like there's nothing here there's nothing here i give up there's nobody there's nobody but if you start something you'll find the people who are like you it's, it's you just have to do it yeah and there's no pressure so my email is pause your life at pm.me pause your life at pm.me yeah that you can always get in touch with me and pauseyourlife.org is the website and i'm also doing a bunch of stuff with fractal chris the name fractal chris i'm we're streaming the meditations there also um because i create fractals i love fractals and i'm creating a lot of fractal art so on instagram and twitter and stuff you can find fractal chris and uh anyway yeah i mean always feel free to reach out i mean we're all the way i feel about a group and a community like this is we all have our heart in the right place and so all we, it, it it's just a matter of like uh practical solutions so you know i mean mike how i ask you about stuff i'm like hey how do you do this or how did you do that like and you ask me so we all can ask each other so feel free to just reach out that's that's sort of why we're here right <laughs> yeah 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 so this has been a really great two-hour uh, session would you like to um close us with your your normal closing for the prayer oh the universal prayer sure yeah. All right. So uh, this is, uh, so typically in spiritual practice, we, everything we do is for our own benefit, but this universal prayer that we can do now is for the benefit of all human beings and everyone in the whole universe and that. So, and it's like a, like a 30 second meditation we can do. So uh, so why don't you sit, just sit comfortable, probably where you are, and, and just close your eyes and let go, and I will say the universal prayer, and then we'll meditate for 30 seconds, and, um, and then I will stop it after about 30 seconds. So, okay, let's begin. All brothers and sisters are being filled with love and devotion and real faith is growing stronger in them. Right, we can end it there.
Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone. Beautiful.